topics and opinions expressed in the following show are solely those of the hosts and their guests and not those of W4CY Radio, its employees, or affiliates. We make no recommendations or endorsements for radio show programs, services, or products mentioned on air or on our web. No liability, explicit or implied, shall be extended to W4CY Radio or its employees or affiliates. Any questions or comments should be directed to those show hosts. Thank you for choosing W4CY Radio. Hey, welcome back, everyone, to the Geek Skeezers and Googleization Show, where we talk with HR and business thought leaders about living and working in a world where the wired, the tired, and technology converge. I'm your host, Ira Wolf, along with my co-host, Keith Compagna, and our sponsors are Jobvite and Success Performance Solutions. Our guest today is an honest-to-goodness emerging trans legend, uh, Alan Ballou. He's president of ITR Economics and can't, can't wait to talk to him, especially with uh, all the news going on with uh, threats of war and tariffs and uh, shortages and lowest unemployment record in 50 years. So we, we have a lot to talk about. But, Keith, um, I'm not I, – I, basically, I think if there was an Economist Hall of Fame, Alan and his brother Brian would, would be in it. Uh, but before we get to I, uh, Alan, let's do our uh, kind of weekly G3 wrap-up. Um, sure. I like that. Sure. I mean, I think, uh, was it Rob Kelly who said we should Rob call ourselves Kelly. G3? Yeah. Geek Skeezers and Globalization. Yeah. Yep. So you and, you and I got together uh, Saturday. Yeah. Uh, kind of a little gig on, on something you're putting together on work-life integration or life-work integration. I'll get that right. right. Yes, sir. Yeah, yes, life-work sir. integration. Um, and, uh, you know, you had a lot of homework to do, but a couple of things yes. that happened in the meantime. Um, on Friday, I was at Long Island Sherm, and it was um, you know it was it was great. They had 800 people at this conference. Uh, there was uh, I had two sessions recording in the age of Googleization, packed packed room on both, and uh, it was a lot of fun. It's got a lot of feedback. And then this morning, uh, out in Johnstown, Pennsylvania, um, I'm on a rest stop on the way back, so we're doing this uh, fully remote. And uh, it's, uh, again, we had only about 25 people. Obviously, it's a rural area. But they, too, like uh, people in Long Island, they, too, are struggling with finding people, a lot of the same issues. Um, still amazes me that I, I can talk about Google for Jobs. And uh, today, one hand went up uh, of somebody who knew about it. So we, we, we still have a lot of work to do. <laughs> oh, there's so much work to be done. So much work to be done. Yeah, yeah and... and uh, and what you've got tomorrow, your, your international with your Disrupt HR talk, how's that coming along? Good. Well, I submitted it, and they loved it. I wasn't sure. It took me, uh, I think, about 75 to 80 different takes. You know, the problem with, uh, and, and Alan maybe can, not that we want to spend a lot of time on that, but, you know, to me, recording is a lot more difficult than speaking. When you speak, you know, you go over it. People, you can correct yourself. People may miss it. When you record, you want to do it perfectly. And you don't want to have any errors and goes into posterity. And, and so, uh, you know, I'd get to the end. It was only five minutes, but I, I'd get to uh, the four, you know, the four minute and 50 second remark. And I go, why did I say that? <laughs> and I go, so I'll record it again and do it again for another five minutes. Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, but, but I finally relented and say, you know, there's, there's also a degree of authenticity uh, that we do make mistakes and we do have blips and so we got through it, but I did submit it, and yeah, that's live. Uh, disrupt herb, uh, disrupt HR Belgrade. Uh, it, it's not live to anybody outside of Belgrade, but uh, within a few, you know, probably within a few weeks, uh, all the videos will be up there, and uh, that should be fun. 
I got to tell you, it's it's amazing to see how uh, much fun this is because it feels like with every week we go on the podcast, we're developing momentum. And you mentioned to the audience the G three thing. Ira and I are are, are beginning the the be, beginning the beginnings <laughs> of uh, the G three summit which is going to include a lot of thought leaders talking about the future of work as it relates to employment trends, recruiting trends, technology trends, maybe economic trends, if Alan is available, wink, wink, right? The whole concept here is that we're going to bring uh, uh, to a one webinar style event a lot of thought leaders that can give a whole bunch of value in not a lot of time. And uh, it's really exciting to see uh, life work integration is starting to take a little bit of a, get some wind behind the sails. I'm getting a lot of feedback, starting to get my focus groups together, building up KeithCapagna.com. And, uh, and it's really exciting stuff. And I, uh, and I got to tell you, uh, your insight and the insight of the other people that I've met with and, and they're willing to share with me um, really is uh, very, very uh, humbling and I'm real grateful to have it. It's just amazing to see what happens when yeah. people put people put effort into a good idea. Well, it, it's mutual because you made uh, quite a few introductions for us and uh, you know your 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 former or your company, I guess former company, yeah. uh, employer yeah. was, you know, a sponsor of us and and that's starting to grow and I know you got a, a bunch of other sponsors lined up. So, uh, this this has been fun, but Today's point is we, we, we just, I mean, I, I'm just so honored um, to have Alan, you know, part of the show. Uh, as I said, if there was an Economist Hall of Fame, he and his brother would, would, would probably be in it. There might be, and maybe they are in it, but I'm, I'm not aware of that. But a little background on Alan um, is this is really teeing up where we're headed. Um, Alan uh, Ballou, Dr. Alan Ballou is one of our country's foremost economists. He's a president and principal of ITR Economics which is first in forecast worldwide because of its reputation for reliable forecast and actionable content. Um, you, Keith, you're probably not aware of this, but their accuracy rating in forecasts is, is very, very close to 95%. And uh, if, if you, I mean, it's just crazy. And I, and I, I have a question coming up with that, but um, that includes um, predicting the, 2008 recession should have listened to him because I, I think that was one of the all-day city meetings at Vestige that I heard him at and it was like how can this be we're, we're, we're living in this uh, in this world where everything will always go up um, but uh, he and his brother and ITR economics and his team predicted it nearly three years before it happened um, he's also authored three books including a children's book very interesting um, but but I won it uh, is the title of the book as to help uh, young people prepare themselves for prospering in the in the future, so we want to at least get a mention in for that and talk to him a little bit about it. About it, and uh, he and his brother are researching a fourth book uh, to conduct applied research into setting the gold standard for business cycle forecasting in the equity markets. So a lot on Alan's table. Alan, welcome to the Geek Skeezers and Googleization Show. It is a true honor to have you with us. Well, thank you, Ira and Keith. That's very, very nice of you. Very generous of you. Um, if we are, we enjoyed the books. I want to make sure that uh, my wife gets due credit on the children's book. My brother and I decided to write one. I wrote what I thought was a children's book. I asked her to edit it. She said, "I thought you thought I thought you said this was for kids," <laughs> and so she rewrote it because uh, she worked with kids and has worked with children for decades. And uh, it's every much every bit as much hers as it is ours. And also, 100 percent of every penny, not just profits, we cover costs. 100 percent of every book sale uh, goes to a kids' charity. So it's it's. Uh, 
Fantastic. It's done well. Fantastic. Yeah, pick it up. Yeah. Yeah. Again, yeah. the name of the book is But I Won It um, by Alan and Brian Ballou. That's B E A U L I E U. Is that correct? I spell that right? That is correct. Only okay. available on our website. And, and if I may, I know I'm taking up your time, but no. it's it's 32 <laughs> page illustrated, so it's it is suitable for. Uh, around first grade, plus or minus, and for Congress. It can go either way. So, <laughs> <laughs> so well, yeah, it, it, as you were doing that, I was thinking, uh, I when I speak to the groups on uh, marketing, especially talking about marketing to an HR group, um, you really need to take it down to almost a children's level, not to insult HR, but it's a completely new subject. And when you start throwing out a lot of the terms that are used in marketing, their eyes glaze over. So I, I maybe should consult with your wife how to take this down to a children's level. <laughs> so, but that's a, very true, that's a very good concept, by the way. And yeah, uh, that's lowest, what we did. lowest common denominator, right? <laughs> yeah, that's exactly right. So you can get the message across because that's the important thing. So let's let's jump into something that's probably not the lowest common denominator, but let's try to take it there. Um, the outlook for the economy. I mean, this is what you guys do on a, on a day-to-day basis. I mentioned this morning, based on some of the things that you've said, uh, that we're likely headed into a recession, maybe at the, you know, a slowdown. I don't know, a recession, but slowdown uh, later in 2019, maybe 2020. We've got a big election coming up. We've got all these things. Um, you got to give us a snapshot of that. Where, where, where do you sure. think we're headed? I'd be happy to, and slowdown is the right way to phrase it. Um, so we we are avoiding the R word because in GDP you need two quarters of decline, consecutive quarters of decline for it to be a recession, and we think there's a probability of one, and that's uh, in the first quarter of 2020. But this year's rate of growth is slowing down. Um, we are forecasting that this year's GDP annual growth rate will be 0.9 percent, which makes it would make it the slowest rate of growth in the U.S. economy since 2009. Uh, So it's a big deal. It's a very noticeable slowdown, and it's occurring now. If you look at uh, exports, uh, they're flat, and that's 8% of GDP, exports of goods. Look at B2B activity, it's on the backside of the business cycle slowing down. That's a large part of the economy. And most importantly, retail sales have slowed down very noticeably, to where the deflated rate of growth, uh, gentlemen, is at 1.9%, which should make you suck in your breath and go, <gasps> no. And and the answer is uh, yes, because anything below 2.5% causes us all kinds of angst about the economy. So we are at one9 The math says it continues to slow down. The amount of spending is basically flat. So the U.S. economy is not going to. It is uh, slowing down. And the leading yeah. indicators we follow suggest through through 2019. So with that, I mean, we're we're focused on the future of work, the future of jobs, um, careers, uh, you know, how it affects individuals and, and companies, employers and, and workers alike. Uh, the outlook on unemployment, I mean, we just had the the uh, unemployment rate come out, 260-some thousand odd new, new jobs created. I mean, that's a positive sign. Um, but then we also have the jolts uh, for those. I, I've mentioned that. And it's amazing in, in HR. Um, I mentioned jolts all the time and, and almost never, <laughs> almost never anybody knows what it stands for. And it's a, a, a reg, um, I think, believe it's a monthly report, uh, job openings and labor turnover summary. Uh, they should be paying attention to that. And it was just released, I believe, yesterday or the day before, uh, seven and a half million job openings at the end of, of March. 
um, more uh, almost a million or uh, yeah almost a million million and a half more job openings than there are actual people that doesn't even mean those people are skilled but um, there, there's that opening it's this 13th straight month that that number has been higher than uh, the, the op- job openings have been higher than job seekers and the unemployment rates dropped to a 50-year low so based on the slowdown uh, not that anybody should take a sigh of relief when the economy slows down, but is that going to help employers? I mean, what's your, what's the take? Is that a worry or is that a, a plus for employers and workers? Well, I hate to sound like an economist, but the answer is both because you asked a complex question. The <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, and you can take it. Yeah, I asked both sides of it, so you, you yeah, can take that. Right. Make it simple for us. <laughs> <laughs> well, from the employer side. Um, it is not going to ease their hiring constraints. There's not going to create a whole lot of laid-off people. We're not going to see, because nobody wants to lose the the good workforce they have. Even through a slowdown, the A and the B players are going to stay. Anybody that lets go is going to be C player. So anything you pick up is going to be a C player. So that's not, you know, great hunting ground. And I don't even think there's going to be a lot of layoffs uh, through this time period. There'll be some, but uh, no, nothing earth-shaking that's going to make it a lot easier for businesses to hire. The reason I hesitated, because it does put businesses in the middle, though, because as their revenues flatten out or slow dramatically from 2018 in terms of growth rate, that doesn't alleviate the labor costs going up because they need to hang on to people. It won't be as much as last year, but it's still going to go up. So there's, there's a potential margin squeeze in through there uh, that a lot of businesses are going to have to deal with in 19. And as that reduces their EBITDA, reduces state income tax, reduces shareholder payouts, I mean, all kinds of things roll off of that. Uh, so it's, it's painful, but it's not like it's a 2008-9. we got, we got to keep it in perspective. So there's there's a lot of things going on with, with policies, and so i got two questions, two follow-up questions with that. One is, um, you know, we got, you know, the announcements about uh, new tariffs on China. Um, we have all these things going on with immigration. we got the election coming up. What What's your sense or what are you seeing in your analysis of how that's going to uh, impact the, well, I guess, labor trends? I mean, so there's, there's a couple components to that. It's, one is the unemployment rate, which is probably a pretty superficial way to look at it. Um, but as, also as far as, uh, you know, we look at jolts, as far as job openings, as far as, uh, um, you know, turnover. You mentioned turnover probably isn't going to increase a whole lot, but uh, so I mean, what 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 is what's your take on a lot of these new policies that are at least being suggested, even if they're not implemented? Uh, sure, and you just gave me a new, uh, uh, I think it's called uh, acrostic. It's uh, TIE tariff, immigration, and. Uh, Election, so now I can talk oh. about Thai when I talk to people. So thank oh, you. Oh, good. I, I like that. Yeah, I'm I'm, I'm big with acronyms. <laughs> so, uh, as far as the tariffs go, it's really, really a, a longer discussion. Let me see about boiling it down, though, because I don't want to take all your time on this. Tariffs help a large number of people. Tariffs hurt a large number of people. The retaliatory tariffs of China, Europe, Canada, Mexico, those have an impact on U.S. businesses. And those U.S. businesses will either be selling less or reducing their price or paying the tariff. I mean, they will somehow be impacted by those tariffs. And others are having to pay much more for things coming in from other countries. And that's also squeezing their their margins, and it's not a fun thing. 
and people end up feeling that in the raises that don't come or the bonuses that don't come and, and that sort of thing. So it is a people question. And some industries will be hit harder than others. So uh, that's the negative side. That's a drag on the economy. The plus side is some people can artificially raise prices. Uh, for instance, here's a fun fact. Uh, when we put tariffs on washing machines coming in from, from uh, I think it was China, uh, they were just on washing machines, but the people who sold washing machines also raised the price of dryers by the same amount. <laughs> they're always sold in parity. Right, <laughs> so, right, right. Uh, they liked it. They were happy, but the poor consumer was paying more than he or she had to uh, for those appliances. So it does. It's a cost to get borne by the consumer. It's just an ugly, difficult process for the world to go through. Was it needed or not? Is a political question. I'm not going to answer, but it is something that is uh, following the law of unintended consequences. We start off with a simple premise: let's put 20 percent. Uh, let's put a tariff on 20 percent of the Chinese steel coming into the country. And next thing you know, we're where we are today. And uh, it's messy, real messy. I don't think the tariffs are going to go away quickly, if that was part of the question. Uh, there are too many hurdles left to be solved. I know that the uh, officials make it sound like we're close. But when you look at the things that have yet to be solved, it, uh, it seems like we're a ways from that. And the more that we look at the world and the nationalism growing in the world, the more likely it is that tariffs stay around for a while in some form, not as virulent as today, but in some form. We should expect tariffs to be around for quite a while because of nationalism. And that does hurt some people. Yeah. So, I mean, I know in the past, I mean, there were certain industries, the technology for one, which which I think uh, with uh, globalization and remote work, that, that's not a huge issue. But I, I know construction. Uh, I remember talking to a construction group in uh, Houston area. Actually, it was an association. It just happened to be the, their annual meeting happened to be in Houston. And this was probably, I don't know, maybe 2004, 2005, sort of one of the booms um, in real estate. And, uh, and you know, at that time, I know there was still, there, were, there was always talk about immigration and cutting things back. And, you know, the people in the room, um, the construction people, pretty much said that if they couldn't hire um, people from Mexico and other countries that they would be out of business. And uh, our, our country still, I mean, construction still an imp a huge impact in, in uh, the U.S. economy. Uh, if this infrastructure bill goes, they're going to need a lot of workers. I don't know where they're going to come from. So there's that side. Um, I mean, what's, uh, again, what, what, not looking for solutions, but what's your take on that is, is how, how seriously is that going to impact um, you know, even the implementation of an infrastructure bill. Uh, it won't stop politicians from passing an infrastructure bill. They won't consider where, where the labor is going to come from in the practical aspects. That's not the business they're in. Uh, on, the, on, on an infrastructure bill, real quickly, most people think that's a major jolt into the economy, but there are no construction-ready projects. They have to be evaluated. Uh, federal government sends it to the state. After it's allocated, it has to be actually sent. And then after it's sent, the state has to decide which projects it's going to. And then the contracts are let. And then a project begins. And if you're going to build a road, bridge, electrical, grid, whatever you're going to do, it takes years. Yeah. So if you have a, a $50 million project, it's not $50 million in one year. It's $10 million a year. And that really diffuses the, the economic mm -hmm. impact. So, I mean, as far as the migration... 
As, uh, let me ask a question before I forget it. Um, so, Alan, I mean, so one of the things is, you know, I know every time an Amazon comes into an area, and we're in the Lehigh Valley, there's, I think, there's four Amazon distributorships or, or um, distribution centers. Um, the other employees, especially the smaller ones, go crazy um, because it diverts labor. So, if this infrastructure bill actually goes into impact, and you know, it may be two or three years down the road, and either uh, Trump's second term or whoever the next president is going to be is, is going to get the credit for it, uh, or he's going to see the realization of it. Um, what's that going to do? Sort of the dynamics, the migration of labor. I mean, is this is is a bill like that, or is the implementation of something like that going to hurt a lot of the small businesses? It's a bidding war, and so it certainly can do that. Uh, the trucking industry, for instance, was was you know feeling a lot of pain for lack of drivers, so they increased wages, and they're getting drivers. Those drivers are choosing not to take the construction jobs because they get a year-round job driving a truck instead of the construction job, which is why construction job openings are so high. Uh, so, uh, yeah, it bids up the cost of labor because then manufacturing and distributors are competing against the same people who want to drive trucks or maybe working in construction and uh, it's just feeds off of itself because we simply do not have enough people to fill all those jobs, which is where you started this conversation. And, and you're absolutely right. There just are, let alone skills, there are simply not enough people, which leads to your immigration question. And it's it's more than just contractors. It's uh, it's staffing. When you look at the uh, the, and I was talking to this association. Uh, when they are a group of people who hire a lot of legal immigrants. We're not talking illegal, legal immigrants. And they and there are jobs, and they will take these jobs, and they do a good job with them. There's a pretty high turnover because often it's an entry job into this country, but they understand that. They said with, with the tightening of immigration, they don't know how they're going to clean buildings. They don't know how they're going to do this. Mm-hmm. They don't know how they're going to be able to do that. I talk to farmers who go, uh, the crops will rot in the field uh, if if we get real mm-hmm. serious about this because yeah. I have nobody to pick that stuff. Americans right. will take those jobs. Uh, right. So it's a lot of industries that get hurt because we don't have enough people. Yeah. Now, going with that, Alan, I spent the last 18 months at Jobvite, which is uh, a software designed to be positioned as a thought leader in the marketplace for recruitment, marketing, and and the, what I call the boring HR stuff like onboarding and applicant tracking. But what it did was give me a phenomenal opportunity to get out there. I traveled the country, probably spoke with a thousand people last year. And the challenge that I think everyone is talking about is having this tech, the rise of technology coming along with this supply and demand challenge of human, actual human beings. Do you have any thoughts about the impact of uh, maybe not so much in the, the manufacturing or labor industries, but maybe on the, the other side of the equation in terms of artificial intelligence taking advantage and, and being able to produce more without the need of people? Uh, yes, I do have some thoughts on that to answer your, your, your question first off. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Usually not one without some thoughts. Uh, vertical AI uh, is here and it's helpful. And uh, the fear is that AI is going to make 70% of us redundant, that we won't have jobs for humans, and it uh, begins to look like Terminator um, and, and, and Skynet, I think is what it was called. So uh, that Skynet kind of thing isn't even on the horizon. As I've talked to a couple people who are real serious into that industry, um, they say, we don't even know how to begin to write the code for it. And 
the range of when we might have the beginning of it actually ranges from five years to 500 years. So we're, that whole AI thing and that whole question of jobs and making human beings irrelevant uh, isn't even real at this point. And I don't think for the rest of my life it, it's real. I think that's just yeah. a slow adoption. Now, the vertical stuff, sure. Um, like it, this phone call could be monitored looking for keywords, and that's AI that's doing that and, and reporting out on, on our keywords that we use. There's AI for salespeople so that the salesperson, if I'm the salesperson, they're listening to you, Keith, and they're saying, and they're flashing on my screen, he's losing interest, uh, show more empathy. He's losing interest, show more concern. He's losing interest, tell a story. And, and, and they do that from the timbre of your voice. I mean, that's, that's fantastic stuff. doesn't replace me as a salesperson. just makes me a better salesperson. Uh, so I, I think we're fine that the, the fear is greater than the reality for a long time to come. And that use of robotics, I know you said not manufacturing, but the use of robotics creates jobs, keeps us globally competitive. People that use robotics tend to employ more people at a higher wage. I mean, it's just uh, a real positive thing as we go forward, as we embrace that technology so that we can keep productive and keep our global standing in the world as the world's largest, most dominant economy. Uh, it's all wrapped together. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yep. So you're listening to the Geek Skeezers and Googleization Show. Our guest today is Alan Ballou from ITR Economics. We've been talking about a lot of emerging trends, what the outlook for the economy is, unemployment, the jolt rate, uh, trade wars, immigration. Uh, we're going to take a short break, and when we come back, uh, we're going to continue the conversation about the future of work. We're going to talk about millennials probably the most bashed generation in history of mankind. Uh, and uh, we, we're going to uh, hear from our sponsors, Jobvite and Success Performance Solutions. Stay right where you are. We will be back in two minutes. Behind everything you're searching for is something you're actually looking for. When you search with the real yellow pages, you get more than a contractor. You get a whole new curb appeal. It's not just getting directions to a dry cleaner with YP.com. It's rescuing an old favorite from the back of the closet. And it's more than finding a locksmith with YP.com on your mobile. It's getting to sleep in your own bed. Whatever it might be, there are more ways to search and more ways to find exactly what you're looking for with the real yellow pages, YP.com, and YP.com on your mobile, only from AT&T. What's up, everyone? This is Keith from the Geek, Skeezers, and Googleization show powered by Jobvite. Jobvite knows career paths are made by people, not by open job requisitions. Jobvite's platform ties recruitment marketing directly to applicant tracking and onboarding, creating continuous candidate engagement that effectively connects recruiters with qualified passive candidates. Used by over 50,000 recruiters placing over 1 million jobs, Jobvite's platform impacts every company in every industry. Check us out at jobvite.com. Listen carefully. Up to 9 out of 10 job candidates visiting your company career page leave before completing an application. You heard that right. 90% of candidates who want to apply for a job at your company don't. That's just plain crazy, especially in today's tight labor market. Candidate experience matters. Stop turning candidates away. Let Success Performance Solutions help. Call us at 800-803-4303 or register at successperformancesolutions.com slash W4CY. Schedule a no-obligation consultation and get special access to insider tips, 
to recruit faster and hire smarter. Welcome back to the Geek Skeezers and Googleization Show. I'm your host, Ira Wolf. I'm with my co-host, Keith Compagnet, and our very special guest, Alan Ballou, economist extraordinaire from ITR Economics. Hey, Alan, when we left off, we were talking about automation. So, you know, when we talk about that, um, I, and I agree with you entirely, uh, in every presentation I have, it's, it's a big part of that. Um, I, you know, the, the, and, and you're, you're aware of all the, the research that's out there. You know, the prediction is that five, any, uh, up to 50% of all jobs will be eliminated. The robots are coming. They're going to take over the, our job. Uh, and as you said, and, and I totally agree, that's uh, uh, probably unlikely. Um, there's probably 5% of jobs that will be eliminated, but most people couldn't name those <laughs> anyway, uh, what they are. Uh, but the other statistic that I that that I do believe is true, so I'm looking for your opinion and then seeing what industries you think it's going to affect most, is that two-thirds of all jobs will be at least one-third automated. And so that has a couple implications. Uh, as, as I share with people, Keith's heard this a million times, uh, it does not mean that uh, everybody gets to go home after 25 hours a week of work. Uh, and but it does mean that people will need to to learn new skills and advanced skills. Uh, so you know when we talk about you mentioned AI and, and robotics, but we got autonomous vehicles. So that's obviously going to affect transportation. And and even in my book, it was you know even the tax structure. I mean, if there's less cars sold, there's less gas sold. Uh, if we have more electric cars, there's less gasoline. How the state's going to uh, you know where are those revenues going to come from? Um, what's the impact uh, of, of automation? Um, and again, not the elimination of jobs, but the increase in skills. Uh, how is that going to affect industries and also our economy? Positively is the short answer. Which oh, good. I'm, I'm glad to hear that. <laughs> striving for short answers. <laughs> you know, change uh, is, is often viewed as, as this horrific event, but as you look in the history of humankind, it's disruptive, but it has led to the to uh, the the path up to the higher standard of living, to more luxury items, to to more time, to more opportunities, to better health, to better access to health care. I mean, uh, all those changes have been very scary for people along the way who were going to lose their jobs. Think of the secretarial pool, great example in my mind. Uh, but those uh, people who wanted to get retrained got retrained and got other jobs, and others who didn't want to get retrained. I suppose blamed technology on on their on their lot in life. Now the sad part is there are always some who cannot get retrained. They just have risen to the level of uh, their capabilities, and, and that's where society has uh, may or may not have a responsibility. But they have to look at this and what it means. But that's a very very small part. Uh, if you if you fear the technology, you're likely to find yourself more abound and, and un, unchanging. And if we do not change, we begin to wither, in my opinion. So, but on an immediate sense, so uh, you know, again, when you talk to people, I, I still hear this. You know, I'm 52. I'm 50 years old. No, I'm, I'm not 50, but um, but uh, you know, people say I'm 50 years old. Um, I'm 45 years old. I'm too old to learn this. Uh, you know, I'm just hoping to hang in there for 10 more years and get my retirement. Um, I mean, there's all these things. So there are people that choose not to pursue this. They may find themselves out of a job uh, or at the lower end of it. 
it, on a temporary basis uh, or in transition, I won't say temporary, but on a transitional basis between where we are now and where we're going, uh, is 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 that going to impact the income inequality? Um, and uh, again, we're that may be a political question, which I'm not going into. But uh, you know, how again does that affect um, you know the econ- you know affect us on a day to day basis? Yeah. Well, yeah. By the way, you have a really nice way of bringing four thoughts into one. <laughs> yeah, that that is my problem. I did a TED talk, and it was like it was the biggest struggle in the world to try to get one theme down to. Uh, <laughs> to I like it. Idea? Please don't take that. That's not a diss. I, I like the complexity of your thinking. I, I appreciate it. <laughs> well, I, I live in the world of personality assessments, and and the assessments that look at how do you think always come up as an integrator. It's like, how did you connect those four things in one, you know, in one thought? But uh, so, yeah, hey, thank you, yeah, appreciate cool. it. <laughs> yeah, you're welcome. Um, to the to that 49 year old who just doesn't want to put the effort in, uh, that's a choice a person has made. Uh, they have decided that they are no longer going to put the effort into their career, into their job, and they will blame the technology for it. But it is the person's fault. Uh, I'm 63. I don't mind sharing that. And we've got all kinds of technological changes going around here at ITR Economics, and I can either decide to say, you know what, uh, I'm just going to coast this thing out and the young people can take care of it, or my brother and I, because it's the two of us, or can be very energetic about it, want it, push it, encourage it. And that's what we're doing because one of my heroes, uh, Reggie Dupre is his name, uh, who's, I believe, older than I am, uh, he says, we're never done. We're always learning. We're always growing. We're always going. And we cannot stop. And and I think that's the bulk of humankind. I think that's most of us. And your example of the 49-year-old is just, I'm sorry for that person. I'm sorry for whatever mm-hmm. made you tired. Maybe you should look for a job at uh, your local hardware store or, or something like that. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Which is also going extinct, right? <laughs> I'm sorry, Ira. Which, which are also those jobs at the local hardware store are also going away. <laughs> well, some are. I mean, but yeah. McDonald's, which had played with the idea of kiosks, I just right. heard uh, recently, they're not going with kiosks. They're going with senior citizens uh, behind the counter. Right. Yeah, absolutely. A new definition yeah. of fast food, by the way. But <laughs> <laughs> which, which brings, which actually leads to another key point, which is, which is how I reconnected with you. Because uh, again, I don't know if we were talking to the same association or not. Um, but uh, you know, it was uh, I, I won't give the name of it to. Uh, I don't want to put them on the spot. But you gave a webinar a couple months ago to an organization, and you know, a lot of the questions coming from that because it was sort of an old school group of people. Uh, small privately owned business owners, most of them, um, and their attitude toward millennials is pretty bad. Uh, I oh, yeah. I describe myself as a recovering millennial basher. Uh, the Geek Skeezers and Googleization actually was the title of a book I wrote about 10 years ago. And in the book, I had a couple chapters, but one one was labeled the dumbest generation ever. Uh, another one talked about tattoos, piercings, and flip-flops. Um, so it gives you any indication. And then over time, it's like, you know, I met a lot of millennials, and that's not who they represent. And so I, I've now put myself out there as a recovering millennial basher. Um, and I know you hold the same feeling, but even from where our economy is going, your, your, your basically view um, is that the millennials are our – well, they literally are our future, um, but they are a very positive impact on our future. 
So what want to hear from from the expert because you you got the you got the numbers to back it. I'm I'm just giving my opinion. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, um, on this, just a quick thought on your first book. I guess we know which part of the marketplace you did not want to sell to. So, <laughs> <laughs> no, I did because they hated it. I I actually got a lot of a lot of activity on blogs and things of, of people complaining. You know what a what a millennial uh, what a baby boomer. I won't say the words they called me, but. <laughs> <laughs> And, and also, just going back to what you said a minute ago, is, is that there, you know, how how your outlook on technology and just people, you know, uh, a good colleague is older than you, and and I'm older than you, and I'm ironically I'm probably the 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 geek on this show out of out of the two of us. <laughs> so. Uh, and that's the, that's really important the personal perspective and and to that millennials are certainly not homogeneous there you know there's as many different flavors and types and degrees as there are baby boomers your our generation or gen xers but as a group um they're good i mean they are a force for good and for change i think the problem with people who don't like millennials is that they see them the way they are now and think that's the way they're always going to be which makes me think back to when uh, in the 70s, and I'm sure you gentlemen remember the 70s and the hippie things and the long hair and the Fu Manchus and the attitudes. And, I do. And the I, right yeah, I brought and, that up this morning when facial hair was illegal in the workplace. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and my dad thought I was a hippie freak that was never going to amount to anything. Uh, you're wrong uh, about the second part, but he wasn't wrong. <laughs> you cut your hair, huh? <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. But that's because I wasn't done growing, and I and I don't say growing up. I, I say growing uh, life experiences and the things you, that happen to you in life. Very same thing with millennials. These these people, they're not kids anymore. Save, they invest, they budget, they want a uh, a balanced life. I can't fault them for that. They want to have access to decision makers. They want to have input. They care about their towns they live in. As a group, not all individually, obviously, and and I see them here at ITR Economics, our company. Seventy percent of us, there are fifty-two of us here. Seventy percent are millennials, and I tell you, they are an impressive group of people. Smart, always ready for change. In in that, if there's a better way, if there's a faster way, the things they have done to improve the company that Brian and I built, I mean, it's just just fantastic. And uh, I'm a real big fan. And numerically, because you mentioned that. There are more of them, six million more, I believe, of them than there are of us baby boomers. So as we fade from the mm -hmm. scene, and we are, next decade especially, uh, we begin to fade away. And then the decade after that, we just we fade away from the planet. Uh, these millennials will be assuming the mantle because they will swarm past the Gen Xers. There's just not enough Gen Xers to matter. So the Gen Xers will get economic, political power handed to them from the baby boomers. They'll have it for maybe six, seven months, and then the millennials will be making all the decisions. They'll be the ones that are in Congress. They'll be the, the staffers now. They'll be the senators. They'll be the president of the United States will be a millennial before you and I blink an eye. And, and that means that their attitudes and their thoughts are going to be what prevails. My something message I... to folks my age, and when I talk to associations too, is you can't fight it. You have to adapt to it. Your website your social media, your thinking, your interview, the culture of your company, everything has to be aimed at them or you become irrelevant and you will be out of business because you yeah, do not have a choice. Yeah, transparency and authenticity are, are um, really lacking in a lot of companies that are struggling with it for, for sure. Keith, I think you were going to 
say something? Yeah, no, I didn't mean to interrupt, but I always do because I can't help it. Alan, it, 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 <laughs> one of the elements that I've noticed is how the, the way that you describe the future millennials, one component that I think plays uh, massively to their strengths is that they're so used to fast change. And I, you know, I'm a Generation Xer. I look up at my parents and I think, why did you stop learning? And then as I look down at my younger colleagues, I, I notice that they, they, they don't even realize that they're constantly learning. It's just what they do, right? So you've got this continuous movement going forward. I'm excited to see the millennials push out of the, uh, the bashing labels that Ira put on them. Uh, a while ago and and move into that group give us the ball and let's let's make a run out of this because they feel comfortable with change probably more so than anyone else in the marketplace very true keith and one of the things that they're not changing though is the desire to have children and to get married Um, they want to get married as much as your generation did and they want to have children as much as your generation did and that's great news uh, because that means and i and Ira, you may not uh, like this. Uh, as they're getting older, they're leaving the urban no-car environment and going to suburbia. It's happening in Phoenix. It's happening in all kinds of cities where the millennials are pushing out because they're, they're starting a family or they have a family. And they're buying cars or leasing automobiles, SUVs. And that means a whole major industry continues to have demand. Houses means numerous industries continue to have demand. And the fact that there's more of them means that there's great economic power and strength coming our way. So the change you talk about, Keith, I agree with. And the, and the stability we see in the areas I just mentioned uh, are also real encouraging. Uh, more and more, they're like us in many, many ways. Mm-hmm. Yeah, outstanding. So uh, a couple things. One is you, you've obviously developed a great model at ITR. I think the company is 70 years old. Am I right? I wouldn't. Yes. It's, yep. it's got a great background on that, but I remember that from listening to it. Um, I guess with a 95, this is sort of a cynical question, but with 95% accuracy, you obviously have a business model. How can we apply that for hiring? Because people's predictability of hiring success is really poor. You know, they're still relying on the interview, gut reactions and things. I mean, is, is there, are there any tips that you can suggest, you know, and again, not because you're looking at economic forecasts and trends, you know, but behind that, there's got to be some type of an analysis or, or, or some type of framework that would, um, you know, maybe some advice for people that are actually recruiting and hiring. Sure. Um, Thoughts flooded into my mind. There are, and you know them better than I do, there are uh, tests that can be applied to help you see beyond the surface so you can see whether this person's going to fit into the culture, uh, fit on the team, and be responsive in a way that most of the people on your team are. We used to use one. I don't know if I'm or you want me to, to say who we used to use uh, here. And, and, but in any event, when we used them, our hiring uh, was much better than when we did not. Often, we would, our gut would tell us one thing, but the, the analysis that we did, the objective analysis would say something else. And lo and behold, if we went with our gut, we find out the objective analysis was right. So just going with the science of it, going with the predictability of it, I think is where uh, we need to go. And a lot of people continue to just trust their, I'm an expert in judging people, yeah. which to me is nonsense um, and hubris, because uh, anybody can fake it for a little while in an interview and and to get into the psychological work really helps. Yeah. I think as far as hiring, uh, 
you probably do this all the time, so um, this is for your listeners, not for you. You have to change how you hire. You have to change your website. You have to change the reflection of your culture. You have to change uh, everything around you so that it's something they want, something they will embrace, something they feel good about and be proud of. And as you do that, then you hire a good team. But it requires that you change to them, not the other way around. Well, and I appreciate the confirmation that that actually is my message. And I've been talking around the country of recruiting in the age of Googleization. That's where I was this morning. And that's exactly it. I mean, you just need to, to, to keep up from, from the website, from branding, um, transparency, uh, being mobile, being fast, uh, not ghosting people. Um, there, there's a whole host of things, but you're absolutely right. You know, as far as the, the testing, um, just give you, a, you know, I, one is I obviously agree. That's my business <laughs> is to provide free employment and leadership testing to companies. Um, but on the on the side of that is we don't suggest that people use it in place of. And I think that's always the concern is like if this isn't as good, uh, you know, if, if we can't rely on the test, why would we use it? But it, it reveals data. If nothing else, it may not change your opinion, but it gives you, it opens your eyes and allows you to interview better. And, and I think that's what you said um, as far as pursuing that. For sure, makes sense. Yeah. Yep. yeah. Hey, um, it it always makes it's always wonders us of uh, you know we we say how are we going to fill up fifty minutes and here we are we're 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 a couple minutes short of our uh, of our close here. Um, I want to give you a chance to introduce you you know to to kind of how people can get a hold of you. Um, you got a ton of material out there and um, you know also if they want to reach your company and you know whether it's for speaking or consulting, um, but also as Keith had suggested earlier, I think it was during our break is if, if we have you back, uh, well, I'd love to have you back. Hopefully we can have you for this G3 Summit, which we're tentatively looking at in uh, October, November, totally. so that'll be six months down the road. Um, but if you were here back in May t- 2020, um, what are we going to be talking about? Mm. We'll be talking about the presidential election because that'll be on everybody's mind and whether uh, this person wins, what can we expect that person wins? And the answer, by the way, is disappointing to most people. Because uh, history shows us, and, and we only have a couple minutes, you know, the recovery and the growth that this country enjoyed was started before the presidential election that brought Donald Trump to office. It's not that I'm saying uh, he didn't hasn't done anything right or that he hasn't made any mistakes, but I'm saying the economy was already healing and on the way up after the oil problems. And, and most people don't recognize that. They want to attribute it to the White House, no matter who's in office. They want to attribute yep. it to the White House, good or bad, either party. I did a study a couple of summers ago that shows that since Harry Truman, the rate of growth in GDP between Democrats in office and Republicans in office is virtually the same. There's a little statistical noise, but it's not enough to, to tilt it. And, and that means that while we put so much emphasis on what the economy will do under so-and-so, the reality is the economy does what it does, and business does what it does, and they just provide some color, some noise, and some interruptions much more than they provide direction, <laughs> growth, and opportunity. What? <laughs> so, so, so how can, how can, what's the best way for people to get a hold of you? And also, um, you know, your website and the book, But I Want It, which is your children's book written for adults as well. Right. Uh, ITREconomics.com. Uh, ITR, then the word economics.com. And you can reach me, you can reach uh, and see about the books, uh, all of them. Amazon has all the books except for uh, the But I Want It. You can see about the different offerings we have. The easiest way to follow us is something we call the Insider. That's a whole $20 a month. 
where you can keep in touch with our thinking on and get different reports and have access to webinars and different things. And, and we try to make it really easy for people to follow us. And then we have you know, upscale consulting from there and the speaking opportunities. Um, whatever works, we try to make it fit. Well, it's, it, it's been an absolute pleasure. Um, uh, so I'm, uh, we're both honored to have you part of this. Uh, you've been a great guest. Uh, shared a ton of information. I got, uh, as always, I have like 90 more questions to ask, but we're we're pretty much out of time. So I, I appreciate you taking time with us, sharing your your thoughts. Uh, hopefully, you'll be a, a guest and uh, again, and uh, really appreciate that. My pleasure. I I would look forward to it. And thank you, gentlemen, for a most enjoyable time. Okay. Yes, sir. Thanks, Thanks Alan. Alan. Have a good day. And uh, again, you've been, listen you've been listening to the Geek Skeezers and Googleization Show. Uh, our guest today was Dr. Alan Ballou from ITR Economics. That's B-E-A-U-L-I-E-U. -E um, you can uh, connect with him on, I know he's got a pretty active uh, LinkedIn. If you just search uh, his name or ITR, ITR Economics, there's a lot of short videos of uh, keynotes he's given. That would be great. Uh, Keith, any closing words? No, uh, real quick, Ira, I find it fascinating that he came on the show. I think it gives the audience phenomenal context in terms of what's really going on. And the truth of the matter is that the workforce is still as strong as it ever could be. Uh, I love his support. I've started calling millennials digital, digital natives. Uh, I came across that term. <laughs> right, right. And, it, and, it, and I find it very, uh, very um, comforting to know that we are giving our audience what is considered the frontline information. There's a whole lot of moving parts going on, but when you focus on the basics, look at your people, consider what they need, because there aren't going to be a lot of them coming to you if you don't start doing that. Yeah, and just interesting, you, you call the millennials the digital natives. That's been handed down. Uh, Gen X, which was your direct uh, generation, mm -hmm. uh, was was the our baby boomer <laughs> digital natives, and and now the the real digital natives are the Gen Z, which are following millennials because they this is that's the world they grew up in. So it seems to be a yeah. mantle that gets handed down from generation to generation. I didn't know that. And, yeah, and we were, uh, are almost out of time. Uh, again, I want to thank everybody who is listening. Uh, we're always interested in hearing what's on your mind. Let us know how you're, you're doing. Uh, if you're interested in being a guest or a sponsor or just sharing a few thoughts, call us. Uh, you can reach us during the show at 561-623-9429. Uh, or you can connect with Keith or myself on LinkedIn or Twitter. We're both always there. Thanks again to Jobvite, Success Performance Solutions, uh, for helping us sponsor the show. And don't forget to join us next week and every week, Wednesday, 1 p.m. Eastern Time, W4CY.com. Or you can listen to our podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, uh, Alexa, Google Play, and about 15 other ones. Until next episode of Geeks, Geezers, and Googleization, this is Ira Wolf and Keith Compagna. Don't let the shift hit your plans.